Bill Oram. It is a show about the Los Angeles Lakers. It has always been a show about the Los Angeles Lakers. And if you are a listener of the Forum Club here on The Athletic, you know that we have traditionally had two shows, Basketball Reasons with me and Brett Dawson and The Magic Hour, hosted by the Kamenetsky brothers, Brian and Andy. Um, If you have been watching your feed, you've seen things have changed up just a little bit. You've seen that we... Uh, haven't had an episode of Basketball Reasons for a few weeks, and the magic hour has not uh, come back. And listen, I mean, the economic realities facing the country right now have um, touched all corners of um, our country, and that includes the athletic. Uh, we've had to make some cuts at the company, and unfortunately, we had to say goodbye to Brett, a dear, dear friend and um, colleague over this last year on the Lakers beat. And also the Kamenetskis will no longer be doing their podcast, which is just a loss for our our listeners, of course. Um and, you know, our Lakers coverage in general. Pete Zayas, the great Lakers film room analyst, is also no longer with the company. He has found a new home with Lakers.com, where he'll continue to do his video analysis. But that has obviously changed the realities of um, what we are able to provide here in terms of our Lakers coverage. I remain as we uh, look ahead to the Orlando restart, the Lakers going to Orlando here in just a couple of days. And... Um, So that being said, not an easy transition, but I do want to give a little bit of a roadmap for what things are going to look like going forward and welcome in Anthony Slater, who you may know as uh, the Warriors beat writer for The Athletic, has done a tremendous job, knows something about covering dynasties, having um, spent the last several years on the Warriors beat with Kevin Durant. coming over with uh, Kevin, in a sense, from Oklahoma City when he signed with the Warriors, sticking around with Steph and Kate and uh, Clay, um, And obviously the Lakers are trying to kick off a dynasty as well. And Slater is going to, through this playoff run, be providing some of the analysis and uh, video breakdown that Warriors fans have come to know and expect and, and love from him. And he'll be doing the same on the Lakers. So Slater, welcome into the Forum Club. I guess we're going to make this a regular thing, huh? You're going to be joining the podcast going forward. Well, there's not too much going on with the Warriors right now. You know, you mentioned the dynasty. It did not continue this year. 15 and 50 uh, was the final score on that record. Um, yeah, it's it, almost kind of flipping it back to you, but it's what's interesting about this like stall in the NBA season is I are like the Warriors season was over in December, January. You know, and by the time we got to March when the season really froze, it was like whatever. Season was already over. It never felt like two seasons in one. Whereas, you know, from a... And now I'm going into this Lakers thing like it's a whole new season that I'm covering. How is this for you? Because you're picking back up, what are we now, three and a half months since uh, the season froze and, you know, we're supposed to talk about this continued season. Does it feel just like almost like a separate season? It does. And, you know, it's funny just because you and I have um, always kind of been on opposite ends of this like you've always covered really great teams you covered KD and Russ with the Thunder you obviously you know picked up with with the Warriors right in the middle of them being you know the most dominant team ever potentially or you know perhaps Um, I've never covered a playoff team like in my career this is is my eighth year covering the NBA um, and this was the first season I'd covered a Lakers team that made the postseason my first year covering the league was a jazz team that just missed the postseason I did spend about half a season covering the Clippers when they made the playoffs and lost to the jazz in the first round so that is my one caveat but in seven seasons of covering the Lakers I'd only covered the worst Lakers teams ever so this was my year this was my year to at least get those those springtime Marriott and Delta points and all of a sudden you know of course circumstances intervene and and that's not the case but it it is um, 
And I remember you and I talking earlier this year about what you, what you were going to do with your long summer and what you were what it was going to be like to have your season end on April 15th. And I had all kinds of tips because that's all I've ever known. Um, so obviously, well, I not- don't get that either. <laughs> I don't get all those vacations and uh, stays, but you it, know, it didn't, people it, in the world are dealing with worse stuff. It than didn't. That, it didn't. Yes, it, did. it, it didn't happen that way. Um, but. You know, it's interesting because when we last saw the Lakers on March 10th, you know, they lost to the Nets in a close one. But before that, they had been on an absolute tear, beating all the top teams in the East, Boston, uh, Philly, and then kind of the, the coup de grace was um, the Bucks and Clippers back-to-back in that last weekend. And we thought we'd really kind of seen this team really hit um, the next level that that they were hoping that would sustain them through the rest of the regular season and into the postseason where, you know, things were going to get a little, a little dicier, but they had asserted themselves. I think we all had kind of agreed by that weekend as the favorite by a narrow margin, the favorite to win the championship. And, you know, still a team with some flaws, but the, the, the great players were playing great and the role players had mostly settled into their roles. The rotation was tightening up. It was all just starting to make sense. And, and then you, you hit pause on it for three and a half months and you don't know what it's going to look like when they get to Orlando, when, when they, you know, when they pick up with these, you know, exhibition games and the seeding games, you have new pieces now. You have a roster that doesn't look exactly the same. Avery Bradley will not be there, as we all know. And you are going to replace him with guys you had on your roster in KCP and Alex Caruso. You're going to bring J.R. Smith and Deion Waiters into the fold. You do That's get at least White. fun. That'll it's be fun. fun. I mean, it's, it's it's reality show fun. I mean, is it going to be is it going to be basketball court fun? I don't know. But Slater, you have been spending the last week uh, doing a little film study, a little bit of a little bit of back work, just familiarizing yourself with the Lakers. What do you think as you come into this as a new season and you're kind of looking at the um, the material? Well, I watched those uh, last two wins, Bucks Clippers wins, uh, which. You know, LeBron was so good in those games, particularly um, outplaying Giannis, outplaying Kawhi. Um, And you mentioned the Lakers kind of nudging themselves into the favorite category. I thought really in that Bucks game, because even, I mean, it was weird. Giannis got hurt in that game. I think we've all forgot Mm -hmm. about that. Remember his knee? He was going to sit out for a while, then the season ended. Apparently, he's 100% healthy fine uh, now. But I just, the way LeBron controlled those games... Uh, it reminded me of playoff basketball and what LeBron does to kind of elevate himself uh, in the playoffs. And I'm I'm just so curious if this different playoff format in Orlando, no fans, if that is to LeBron's advantage or if it's not to his advantage. Um, I do think he's probably taking it more serious than most teams. You know, there are probably four seeds, five seeds. Clearly, we're seeing like the Wizards are going to Orlando like, let's just get this over with. Um, but I assume LeBron's going like, you know, maybe uh, in the moment people won't appreciate my fourth title, but, you know, come two decades from now, people will still say, well, that was he won his fourth title that year. Um, so to me, the Lakers are one of a very few teams I think are going to be extremely motivated in Orlando. And I'm just, you know, watching him in those games, it just kind of reminded me when it's a motivated LeBron, he can kind of control every aspect of the game. And I think that'll help them in Orlando. Yeah, maybe outside of the Bucks, I don't know of a team that ha- it has reason to be as motivated as the Clippers, Lakers. You could say, the, the Clippers but... are there, but the Clippers are also still kind of in year one with a um, with with a pretty stable core. Obviously, you know you don't know what's going to happen in free agency with with Harrell and and Kawhi has some leverage in the next few years. But Kawhi always has leverage, for sure. Apparently. But I think I think you know 
with the Lakers at 35-year-old LeBron, you know, 80s going into free agency, which I think we'll get to, um, this very, very veteran core, um, the window for the Lakers is pretty tight. And the window is specifically for LeBron. I know we all think he's going to keep playing until he's, you know, 45. By the way, this is a quick aside. I had a dream last night about Edgar Martinez. The, the old, that is quite an aside right But there. he was still playing. He was the DH, which apparently that's how you know it was a dream, for the Detroit Tigers in the year 2020. And he was still hitting jacks. That that was that was my dream. So anyway, was there a crowd or not? That's what I'm curious about. You know, I didn't notice, but in but the point is that I remember thinking, let's see, he was 40 when in 2000 when I was watching Edgar Martinez regularly. 60. So he's 60 now. So if he can do it, LeBron can do it. Um, but if you know whatever LeBron's ability to keep playing at this level, whatever his timeline is, the fact that he's doing it now is still spectacular. And every year that he's able to to do it is sort of defying. Um, history, logic, uh, physics. So you you just I, I just think that you, he for him it's he has to recognize that if not now, will the opportunity be there next year? The other thing I'd say with this Orlando setup, I mean, it has been three and a half months off for all of these guys. Most of them, or at least I'd say half of them, haven't really been able to get on the court. You see Chris Middleton's quote saying, "Yeah, I didn't shoot a basketball for the longest time in my life." I think somebody else said. Uh, echoed those comments too. Some guys can kind of get in gyms. Maybe they're doing home workouts outside. LeBron has an LA mansion. LeBron has a lot more, uh, you know, resources to keep himself in shape. And what is he? I mean, he's also his, he's trained his brain to keep himself in unbelievable shape. That's why he's so good at 35. I think that that's another advantage for him going to Orlando. I'm going to guess he is going to look like LeBron almost right away. At least, you know, maybe not, you know, the touch on his shot might not be there, but I think that there's going to be some other guys, you know, maybe even on the Lakers, but some other guys throughout this league that you're like, ooh, you know, the off, the off season, whatever you want to call it, wasn't quite as good to them, and that should help the Lakers. Yeah, and I, and I think I think you know LeBron has talked. You know, I, I'm trying to remember how long ago it was that we had our first and only Zoom call with LeBron, but it was maybe let's say early May, and he was and he was talking about how he had already started getting on the court that he had friends who you know, have have courts that they would clear for him and he'd be able to get in there and, and he and Bronny were going to the gym. And now that's not the same as, you know, working with skills coaches and working in an NBA facility, but it's certainly in terms of just what you're talking about, you know, keeping, you know, keeping your shot, um, I think no doubt helped him. I think LeBron found ways to, to get some work in against guys, whether they were, you know, whether it was sanctioned or not. Um, I think that, you know, LeBron is a guy who was not going to, um, come out of this having lost anything or wasn't going to make the um, was going to make the sacrifices to ensure that he didn't lose anything over over this hiatus. Now, the question is, what about the rest of the guys on this Lakers team? Can the same be said for them? Not all of them have the same the same access to you know, whatever facilities or training that LeBron has. That said, they're LeBron James's teammates, and LeBron Although, is also mindful of not letting his teammates fall behind in this process. You hear these like rumors about the, some rich guy in LA's got like a fake Staples Center oh, it's true. house. Yeah. yeah, it sounded like they were doing some unsanctioned practices. Again, I'm not reporting it, obviously, and I, yeah, again, I don't know how much you know or want to share about it, Bill, but. Sounds like the Lakers, you know, when we talk about advantages, if, if they really got some, you know, billionaire Hollywood guy just giving them access to some fake Staples Center court, that could be helpful. I'm just saying there are more options in Los Angeles than there might have been in uh, in San Antonio. 
and anywhere. Sure. That's why all the the players stay in LA, yep. right? You know, during the off season or a normal off season. Yeah, in terms of in terms of just different options of where where you can go or where you could find a you know a clean safe space. Hopefully, I mean, hopefully everybody's taking necessary precautions and 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 abiding by by guidelines and recommendations, but there are certain. Not. <laughs> oh, listen! I'm just trying to. All I'm trying to citizens. stay. On, I'm trying to stay on the right side of the line here. Um, so, okay, so we think LeBron is going to come back engaged and motivated. Uh, by the way, did you see the pictures from yesterday's Lakers practice of Rajon Rondo? Uh. Uh-uh. He looked like the Hulk. I mean, he's already always been a uh, a cut, um, very lean, sinewy, muscular dude. But like, like a mini Zion, he has he has like exploded in his upper body. I, it, it was it was um, it was the source of great amusement on Twitter for a while. Now um, I don't know if that is going to make him uh, more effective or not, but certainly um, he made smells him those Bradley minutes. He wants those Bradley minutes. <laughs> I mean, should we start there? Is that is that the first? Um, yeah, so I wrote down uh, several questions because I am coming to you as uh, a non-expert who, ha- who has been watching terrible basketball all season, um, wanting to know, you know more, more of the inner minutia of the Warriors. One of the questions I had, and I will start there uh, because we were talking about Bradley, KCP is probably, I would say, is going to take his spot uh, in the starting lineup is the uh, presumptive notion, I guess, you know, Frank Vogel's talking about this training camp will decide some things, but Pope is most likely to step in. And I, watching those games in just general sense, I kind of think Pope's a better player than Bradley at this point of both of their careers. You know, Bradley was probably at his best in Boston, but the numbers, I don't have exact numbers in front of me, but the starting lineup with Bradley has an unbelievable, uh, you know, net rating, plus, minus, whatever you want to say. I mean, that's been their best lineup. It's been their most used lineup. If you just take KCP and plug him in for Bradley, the numbers go way down. Net rating down, all that stuff. Um, Even though, like I said, I kind of think Pope's a better player. Why do you think that is? One, I think Avery Bradley is able to, is one of those guys. I was actually talking to Dan Wakey uh, from the LA Times about this yesterday offline. We were just we were just talking about Avery Bradley and and his and his impact. And the and the big thing is his ability to basically generate energy and to give the team a lift without you know without the ball in his hands, without needing to make big time plays, but just by you know his defensive intensity, ninety four feet. KCP is a great defender. He's a great defender in space. He's a great team defender. Um, he can give you a lot on the ball in spurts, but Avery Bradley is, I mean, Slater, you were there in the very first preseason game of the year back in, um, it was the first game at Chase Center. Do, do you remember Avery Bradley picked up Steph Curry 94 feet on the opening possession of the preseason, which to me kind of set the tone for what they were going, what they were trying to be defensively all year. So yeah, he, uh, well, first of all, they played four preseason games. Remember that? Oh that was God. ridiculous. Um, but Bradley's long been known as like one of the league's better Steph defenders, particularly Boston used to really give the Warriors trouble. And it was when, you know, they had him, they had smart, they had all these wings, young guys, and they always were kind of a thorn for the Warriors. Even during the 73 win Warriors season, they beat the Warriors once, which was one of only nine teams to beat them. And then they went to overtime in the other game. And it was a lot of it was Bradley just being a pest. Um, his ten- yeah, that's gone. His tenacity on the ball is something they're going to miss because they don't have anybody else who can do that. Um, he's a very efficient player, especially when he's getting inside the three-point line. Um, KCP ends up being a little bit more of a volume shooter, uh, has shot the ball much better this year. I agree with you, especially you know, once you put the first 10 games of the year, throw those out. Um, he has been 
one of the most unheralded and most important pieces to the Lakers to the Lakers team this year. And I would also say that if you were going to lose a player in this restart, and I'm not saying that you, I mean, Avery Bradley has been critical to them, but one advantage of this playing out the way that it did is Rob Polinka built a team with a lot of really good wing players and three and D type guys. Cause that was such a, um, a hole in the Lakers roster a year ago that I thought they last summer actually overcompensated in that direction. And when they were building the roster, you've got Danny green and uh, Avery Bradley and KCP. And I was like, don't all these guys kind of do the same thing. And, and, but that, that wealth of players who are, who kind of fill that spot does give them some cushion in losing Avery Bradley. Now, to your question, like specifically as to why um, the net rating goes way down with KCP instead of Avery Bradley, I can only point to the intangibles of what of what Avery Bradley does defensively because KCP is um, has also been very good. I don't, I don't, I don't know the answer to that. I don't know if it has to do with so, with, with, with fourth pointer numbers. lineups, but like it, it I, yeah, exactly. I mean, can they be They're can they be misleading? Sometimes. Yeah, but Avery Bradley I mean, has, can. but Avery Bradley has been. Um, has been, you know, I, I think when they signed Avery Bradley, it was almost this perfect player to put in a starting lineup if you were going to make LeBron James be the starting point guard in, you know, in title indeed. If if you're if you were going to do that, which you know the Lakers were committed to very early on, Avery Bradley made sense because he was the guy who could get in there and guard opposing point guards and and not have to be the the focal point of the offense, not initiate the offense. KCP is not quite the same kind of defender. Alex Caruso is not quite the same kind of defender. They can do that job, but it's not the same as having, you know, a, a, a defensive point guard. Yeah, I mean, KCP is kind of more like the jumpy defender, it seems like, you know, it guards bigger guys. T- to me, I'd like KCP more on like a wing, a bigger wing than maybe Bradley, but yeah. Point guards, are, you know, a different kind of animal. And if, and if you see a Damian Lillard in the first round, that's where you're going to miss Bradley or, you know, exactly. scoring guards. What's up, fellas? Are you prepared to unveil your summer bod? The beaches are opening, the sun is shining, and the bushes must be tamed. Yikes. Manscaped is here to ensure your post-quarantine body is ready for the wild. They have the best trimmer on the market for those of you in need of a chest shave. The third-generation trimmer features skin-safe technology to reduce manscaping accidents. You can also adjust settings to get a length you like, and you can stay on top of it with almost no effort at all. Be sure to use their crop cleanser to keep your hair and skin healthy. It's an all-in-one formula, so it's as good for healthy chest hair as it is for your skin. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code THEATHLETIC at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code THEATHLETIC, all one word. And for a limited time, subscribers get not one but two free gifts. The Shed Travel Bag, $39 value, and the patented high-performance anti-chafing Manscaped Boxer Briefs. So go to manscaped.com today and use that code THEATHLETIC, all one word. Alex Caruso has been, you know, he's he's a guy. Well, you're getting to my next. You're getting to one of my next questions. Should we should we just transition? Should we dissolve well, dissolve? Uh, explain to me the Caruso phenomenon. I mean, he, to me, he's a he's a little bit better of a Delvadova Del next to LeBron, which I'm not. You know, to me, that's not a criticism. It's just he's a he's a non point guard point guard, yeah. right? He's he's not initiating. He's never doing pick and roll. Um, he could, def, you know, he's he's a better defender than I thought. Just kind of right, watching him right. closely. Um, Suddenly the ball gets swung to him and he's got a little lane. He might do like kind of a nifty yeah. layup or something. Um, 
I'm not sure you want him playing third 25 to 30 minutes in the playoffs. What what? But the but Lakers fans apparently are obsessed with this guy, right? I mean, well, <laughs> I you know it goes it obviously goes beyond the um, the uh, the on court factor. That said, he's a guy who has a, a knack for making um, you know big time hustle plays. He's he's the guy who goes skidding out of bounds after loose balls. Uh, goes you know goes in and, and snatches rebounds out of. Um, you know, you know, out of a crowd has, I believe, still has the best uh, net rating with LeBron, LeBron. and AD. I think that that's yeah. still their best three man lineup. He closes sometimes. He, go, right? he closes because, again, like Avery Bradley, he does not need the ball to be effective. He makes he makes big plays kind of out of the blue. And and listen, he like <laughs> I think the most popular play in basketball is still a short guy dunking over a tall guy, and he does it, and he does it with some frequency. And by the way. Like he looks in in the context of an NBA court, he looks like your algebra teacher. He just doesn't. I mean, you know, people. I I know one one of our colleagues gets gets annoyed when people say he looks like a, a, a an accountant because how many accountants do you know who are six foot five and and you know totally ripped? But um, but in the context of an NBA court, balding white dude with a wispy uh with a wispy goatee. It, you notice him, and then when you see you, the guy you've noticed who looks a little out of place goes and dunks on, you know, Jared Allen or whoever it is, that gets your attention. And so he's popular for that reason. He's, um, you know, again, another tenacious player, not the most gifted, you know, scoring guard. He's going to get beaten defensively, but he's more often than not going to make the right play and put himself in the right position. He's, I, I love, he's the type of point guard LeBron loves to play with because he'll like grab a defensive rebound and then immediately look for LeBron. Like, right, Here, right. Take it. It's like, you know, if Rondo's out there, it, you know, Rondo's going to get the defensive rebound. He's like, all right, I got this possession, basically. And, I, you know, maybe that's part of, like, the net rating. But, again, that's where, like, the Del Vadova, to me, like, the comparisons come in. And LeBron always loved to play with him uh, in Cleveland. So, um, beyond that, I, I wanted to go to Davis. I had it marked down as kind of the first question because it was just it, – it, to me, it was kind of curious because I'm covering or coming from covering the Warriors the last three seasons where Kevin Durant went one year contract his first year there, one year contract his second year, one year contract his third year, and it was particularly by year two, year one, you never thought he wasn't going to leave. It was all going great. They ended up winning the title. The feelings around the Warriors were, you know, so rosy. Um, but by middle of year two, there was just some thorniness developing, and even by that point, there was some concern. That summer, he was maybe going to leave. He ends up coming back. Everyone knows, you know, the blow up that was year three, even though they almost won a third straight title. It just every single day, the entire storyline around the team was will he or won't he leave, uh, and his really his mood. Um, so that turns me to Anthony Davis, who comes to the Lakers basically as the Kevin Durant type figure coming to the franchise um, on a one year contract, or at least he has an opt out. Um, and I w- has that been a storyline at? All around the team this year, it's 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 interesting because there are there's just several factors here that have made it so much less of a storyline than Kevin Durant uh, with the Warriors. One um, represented by Rich Paul and Clutch, so there is just a lot of um, synergy between LeBron and AD. There's a lot um, 
there's a lot at stake for LeBron for this to work and to keep Anthony Davis happy. And I wrote about this a lot at the beginning of the year that it was incumbent on LeBron and the Lakers to make Anthony Davis as happy as possible. Because if anything went awry and, and, and we've seen it in the league where guys can say, Hey, I'm here for life. And then, you know, six months later they're gone. Um, Kyrie's a, you know, a very recent example of that. And, and so there would have been no bigger catastrophe for the Lakers than trading away, you know, an all-star in Brandon Ingram, a number two pick in Lonzo Ball, and uh, another lottery pick. No disrespect to Josh Hart, but he was the fourth guy in that deal. Um, then to and, and then lose Anthony Davis after the first year. So the Lakers have made it a you know they've basically gone all in to keep him happy. LeBron has talked about you know you go back to the off season talked about how it would be stupid not to use Anthony Davis as the primary scorer in the offense to run the offense through AD. They've you know. In practice, of course, the offense runs through LeBron. But Le- LeBron has been, at least um, in his in his comments, very deferential to AD. He's done a lot to get AD going on the court. So it hasn't been an issue in the same way. Um, obviously, there was a chance for an extension uh, in the in the in the winter. It, you know, that was the Lakers' way of saying we want you here long term. And AD very politely declined. Um, and all expectations were he was going to go into this offseason, opt out, and then sign signed the big deal with the Lakers this summer. I think all that's up in the air just because of the state of the league, the state of the CBA. Um, but in terms of AD's commitment to the Lakers and to LeBron, there's been no indication that anything has happened behind the scenes that would make this um, not a long-term marriage, at least between AD and the Lakers. It has been um, It's been good for him on the floor. He's had some of his, he's the team's leading scorer. He has had, he's gotten his shots. He's been able to be the, you know, the, the player I think in that he, that he was in new Orleans for the most part and he's winning. So the Lakers have given him what he was looking for. I think he's given them what, what they were looking for. I think he will, as you know, I think he will help extend LeBron's career as maybe the, the balance shifts a little bit over the next couple of years, assuming they, assuming LeBron is still here two years from now. Um, so there, it hasn't been an issue, but that could change, of course. Well, personality-wise, he's also not like, man, why is LeBron? He's a great number. He's a, he's, a, he's a great number two in that sense. Even if you're, even if you know, particularly in the next couple of years, if LeBron declines a little bit and he becomes the number one player, I still think he doesn't necessarily want to be or will be the number one personality on the team. And you know, as if we did discuss differences between Davis's situation and Katie's and. Golden State, that's part of it, right? Just that they're two different personalities. Um, he, he doesn't lead the team in shots. It's kind of one thing I noted in that, uh, you know, whatever you want to call it, like preview article I wrote, um, which kind of surprised me because one of the games I watched, he took like 24 shots in 29 minutes, even though he's in foul trouble. And for some reason, I was going expecting him to have, you know, per game this season, taken like two or three more shots than LeBron. One thing I was surprised by was not only is LeBron lead the team in shots, he leads the team in three-point attempts, 6.4 per game he's taken, uh, most in his career, first time since 08. He's led the te- led his own team in attempted threes. I think that's partly on the personnel. They went more D, you know, when we talk about three and D players, they kind of went more D than three. Um, and it's probably the biggest issue I see with the team right now is, like, they can really kind of go through some swoons shooting. Um, Enter but, Deion Waiters and J.R. Smith. Oh, yeah. They'll, they'll take them. The, those attempts will be up. We'll see if the makes are up. Um, what do you do? You think, I mean, LeBron's obviously had an unbelievable year. He's right up there with Giannis. It's like they're really the only two in the, any type of MVP conversation. Um, is, he, is he jacking too many threes, or is that just 
you know, what he kind of has to do for this team? Uh, listen, I mean, you'd watch you would watch him this year, and he'd, he'd bring the ball up the floor, and you're like, "Why are you shooting a forty footer with twenty seconds left on the shot clock?" And it was just it was just kind of woven into the way he played this year. And um, yes, during the regular season, I felt like it was a little overkill, and he's taking too many threes. And whether that was a wear and tear sort of thing, where it's just you just can't go into the lane every single possession. Um, I don't think that that is what you're going to see in the postseason, especially when 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 the series get more more challenging. I think that that was a way of LeBron Le, LeBron's way of you know conserve conserving some energy. I mean, you look this is boredom a, too, right? and and boredom right where you yeah. are where you are you know you you are having you know you're you're averaging ten assists a game. Your team is winning. You. I think that I think there is sort of an entertainment factor on the court where it's like you you're feeling it a little bit. You want to you know you're the greatest player in the game, and so, you know knocking down a 35 footer, you know looks good. So I, I think I think that there is a little bit of what you're saying that there weren't there aren't great three point threats on this team. Um, there aren't a lot of guys who, in, especially in that first lineup, outside of LeBron and AD, who can create for themselves. Sometimes it's just like LeBron James taking a, a shot is your best offense sometimes, and. Um, you know when he's when he's being sur- really surgical, uh, that's not the play he's going to make most more m- most often than not. But if but if guys are going to give him the room, he's not afraid to take it, and I think he enjoys I think he enjoys the challenge of, of knocking those down. Now he's not a he's not a great three point shooter. He's not James Harden, but he um, certainly isn't scared to take them. And you know especially with the way the Lakers were winning, it wasn't it wasn't something that was holding them back. Danny Green, um, you know, to me he's like maybe. He's not the biggest swing player because LeBron or Davis, like their contributions matter more. But Danny Green, I've seen him in the past, back to when he was on the Spurs facing the Thunder in a series. He'll just swing a series because he's suddenly hitting five threes a game. But he can also swing a series the other way. I've seen him have, yeah, he's disappeared in some big series. Uh, it was very weird. Last year in the East Finals, Raptors, Bucks. He was like, I, I don't know his exact three-point numbers, but they were like, you know, he's shooting basically like 10% from three in that series. Played himself off the floor by the end of it. They couldn't even, like, play Danny Green. Then, you know, four days later, they're starting the NBA Finals, and he's awesome. He was great all series against the Warriors. He hit a bunch of big threes, defended well, um, and was a main reason the Raptors were able to beat the Warriors in that series. So, he, he even though he's a veteran that you would almost – be, think you could rely upon, you know, upon him on just, oh, he's just going to always have a steady performance because that's almost the type of personality he is. He's a swing player. They gave him $15 because he was coming off that great finals. Um, was he a good signing, do you think? Uh, has he proven? I mean, like, he, just looking at his numbers, they're down from last year. He, he shot 45% from three last year. He's down at 37%, which is fine, but it's just not 45 Um do you think he's been good for the Lakers this year? He's he's definitely been good. I think you know he has not been what he was a year ago in Toronto, and that was my big concern when they signed him. Was if you looked at his last few years in San Antonio, his numbers were much more in the mid thirties. He he had kind of fallen off of what he was during those finals years uh, with the Spurs. Um, you know he hadn't he hadn't he hadn't gone beyond. He hadn't become more than this like spot up. You know this guy who could knock down the open three and and then also give you really solid defense. Um, but in terms of being a steadying force for the defense, especially on the defensive side of the ball, he has been a leader on that end. He has been a stabilizer. I mean, you look at this Lakers team, it's still a top five defense. Um, they've really bought into Frank Vogel's message defensively. LeBron has set the tone. And I don't know that you have that defensive 
um, credibility without Danny Green. Now it's obviously it's a lot of guys. I mean, they went really heavy on that side of the ball, with especially with perimeter defenders. But I thought um, Danny Green was a guy who could gave you a reliable effort defensively, but he would disappear. I mean, I think it was the season opener. He scored something like 26 points and had, you know, knocked down a ton of threes. And then, you know, he would go, you know, weeks and weeks and weeks without that kind of performance. And, and I think that that's where you look for this Lakers roster and you say, who's the guy who's going to be reliably knocking down threes. Who's going to be your, who's going to be your, your real nightly perimeter threat. And they don't have that. And so, yes, Danny green, I think, I think you have to have a, a baseline expectation on the defensive side of the ball that is that is really high but on the offensive side it's you know you know he might go two for eight from three in a game and that is that is you know part of that is just part of the fabric of, of the kind of you know he might go two for eight and then he'll go you know six for ten and all of a sudden he's eight for 18 and that looks pretty darn good and it's just like it just I, I don't he's he's not he's not he's a he's a definitely a pendulum swing guy like you said and if if but once he does get going he can absolutely swing a game and i i don't know i don't i think that you can only evaluate the question of if he was a good signing based on what he gives you in the postseason because up to this point he's been good the lakers are one of the best defenses in the league they have the best record in the west if the season had continued they might have ended with the best record in the league as you alluded to Giannis was was injured and was going to miss some time so um I think in the big picture of this team, it's hard to say. It's hard. It's hard to truly evaluate what was good and what wasn't good because the only returns we have are positive, and everything is going to be judged on whether or not they win the championship. Yeah, and the other thing is, I guess if you think back to the summer, you know they whiffed on Kawhi, obviously, um, and Kawhi took them so deep into July, and I say deep into July. July fourth is basically deep into July from a free agency perspective, typically. Although now that'll now be October. Um, it, I, I don't even remember really what would, else could have been out there. It was almost like they had to give Danny Green 15 million. Um, cause he was like the only really kind of reliable starter still left on the market. Who, do you, do you remember, was there anyone else that's like, yeah, they could have gone. I think, I, I feel like by then most of those guys were gone. I'm trying to remember who all, I mean, there was a lot of, you know, I'm trying to, especially at that position. Yeah. The, the I mean, I've, I've, when you're talking about completing a playoff right. roster, you already have your big piece right. chess pieces. Yeah, you just want wings in the modern NBA. Even if it's like a really good center's out there, it's like eh, yeah, right. Probably rather just have a Danny Green. Yeah, I mean, I think I think that that was that was especially at the time was viewed as a really reasonable consolation prize. You, you know, if you, you preserve this cap space for Kawhi, and now you're getting you're getting a guy with championship experience who just came up big in the finals, has won, has won everywhere he's been basically has been and you know has benefited from being Kawhi's teammate obviously I was gonna but, say, cause but, but also Kawhi, but, but also yeah. but also knows how to knows how to play next to superstars you're putting yeah. him next to LeBron and AD knows knows his um knows how to embrace his role knows how to take on the challenge defensively uh has been there has the rings um is it a little bit of an overpay yes absolutely but that's also you know you know I think also you know GMs like to say don't look at don't look at it as money you're spending think of it as like you know, building blocks basically in pieces. And it's, you know, you've got your blocks here for LeBron blocks here for AD. And then the other pieces, it's just making it all fit and what it takes to get the, get the right piece in there. And I think, you know, Danny green filled an, a huge need for them. Um, you know, could you argue that you could have gotten by with just KCP and Avery Bradley? Yes. But then you're still going to, then you still have that money that you need to spend somewhere. What is that? You're just giving to Marcus cousins more. Um, 
I mean, to me, I've seen that before. I mean, to me, Danny Green, I think, has one more year at fifteen million dollars. Um, you know, he's expiring, so he's expiring next year. If if the returns aren't there, you know, that's a very tradable piece at, at the deadline next year. He's been good, and I I think that he's especially and again, especially without Avery Bradley. Not that he does the same thing, but in terms of be just being a linchpin of the defense and 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 keeping them together uh, is a guy you need. Kyle Kuzma. It was rough when I watched Kyle Kuzma out there. Um, he, I think he combined with one of ten from three in those Bucks Clippers wins at the end of March that were really good. He just he wasn't good in those games, so maybe that's sh- shading my view a little bit. But he was just taking some bad shots. I thought, you know, some particularly, you know, those were those playoff atmosphere type games. You know, you mentioned the lead up; they're sharpening themselves up. LeBron was clearly like, you know, ratcheting that brain up to another level in that game. Wanted to make statements. The rest of the team is like, you know, playing high-level defense. Not that Kuzma wasn't, like, attempting to play defense, but I just he just felt like he was floating around in a regular season game while the other, while the other nine players were in a playoff game. And uh, maybe that doesn't matter as much this year because the playoff environment has turned from, you know, a raucous road game in, you know, Houston to, although Houston's road environment's not great, but to an empty gym in Orlando with, like, 10 bleachers. I, I don't even know what the setup's going to look like there. Um, but... Just watching that, I was kind of concerned about him from a playoff perspective, how he'll fit into that environment, where he seems like the perfect type of, oh man, you get him in, he's your small ball four next to Davis, those are perfect type of units, but then I'm like, man, and then I was like, oh, what is he shooting from three, because he just went one to ten? Oh, he's 29% this year, he's one of only seven guys in the league who's taken 200 or more threes and not shot, you know, above 30%, like that's just... To me, what he should be and why you have to get him on the court also is what concerns me about him. Because if you put him on the court too much in the playoffs and he doesn't perform, like that's that's a very negative value player. Yeah, no, it's really he's a really interesting case for all the reasons you mentioned and because you know, for all the reasons that uh, Danny Green is super valuable and even J.R. Smith is valuable, Kyle Kuzma has never been in those environments. He's never been this is the first season he's been in games that mattered, um, you know, playing, you know, in even regular season games that mattered, and certainly never the, the playoffs. Um, you know, his first couple of years in the league, he was able to go out and just get buckets and 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 hunt his shots and and um, and and attempt to score and be the focal point of the offense. You know, even even a year ago, LeBron was out for a big chunk of the year, and, and Kuzma was able to continue to burnish kind of his his image as a scorer in the league. But he's a shot hunter, and he's a guy who's going to you know, keep, keep shooting. And that is a, you know, he is, he is a, he is a disciple of Kobe Bryant. You know, the, the words that Kobe uh, imparted, you know, to him continue to rattle around in his brain and he's going to go out there and try to, you know, get 40 every night, whether that's what the team needs him to be trying to do or not. And you kind of, and I've, I've, I think I've tweeted before, you know, you live by the coups, you die by the coups and he's going to shoot the threes. He's going to, He's going to keep attacking, even if he's getting knocked down and the floater's not falling. He's not a guy who's looking to create for others. And again, like you said, that is kind of the guy you want off the bench, right? Like that is kind of when LeBron is on the is on is 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 sitting down, and you've got AD at the five, and AD's playmaking and kicking, and and then and you know trying to hit cutters. I mean, Kuz is a guy who moves really, really well, finishes well, and when he's hot, you know, can score quickly. But I do wonder, having never been in, you know or only just begun to be in those kind of pressure cooker sort of games, 
what um, what this is going to look like for him because he is always kind of on a razor's edge, I think, of of of, of helping or hurting you when he's on the floor. Yeah, I think that the, you know you mentioned like the Kobe aspect, the Kobe mentorship. He got he got one year of Kobe, right? No, he's a, or no, he didn't even. They, he didn't. they never played together. I mean, the kind of the the, the legend yeah, yeah, is yeah, that yeah. his rookie his rookie year, he goes to Rob Palinka and says, "I want to learn from Kobe. Can you yeah. can you make it happen?" And Palinka sets up a dinner, and they have they have dinner, and then they you know they kind of they kind of establish yeah. a friendship. There's just there's there's to me the danger of taking the Kobe that particularly the last year Kobe that's like you know whatever I'll, you know I'll shoot I'll do what I want cuz he'd earned it obviously um and you know and, and that's fine when you're playing the you know whoever the Orlando Magic and you're on a lottery team um and you know you miss four straight shots well whatever that's doesn't you know if we lose this game we win this game doesn't matter it's a difference between a 24 win team and a 25 win team um there's just there's a difference in you know trust me I know LeBron will be in his ear or he'll be on the bench but like there's a difference in just the sharpness and the importance of a playoff possession um, and if you're just kind of you know there's 17 on the shot clock and you're kind of floating out to 17 foot like whatever I'm gonna take this jumper it's like uh, maybe you should have kicked that out and like you know had a set for uh, AD and LeBron because it's yeah it's the second quarter right now but you know you you, you need to value this possession even though it's against the Houston Rockets. Um, I I wonder if he, I mean, it's going to be, I just think it's going to be interesting to watch his, his kind of role throughout the postseason, assuming the Lakers play deep into the playoffs and into the finals. Um, You know, this is, this is not an apples to apples comparison, but you go back to the finals against the Warriors where Jordan Clarkson basically plays his way out of the rotation. And I think Kyle Kuzma is a better player than Jordan Clarkson. He's a more versatile player than Jordan Clarkson, but for a young guy who hasn't been in that environment before. And again, like you said, environments are kind of off the, off the table. um, You know, you kind of need mistake-free basketball you need you need um you need efficient mistake-free basketball and and kuzma is a guy who i could see this could be a reputation making or breaking postseason for him and you know i also think you bring in jr smith in as a little bit of insurance against kuzma now that's mistake-free basketball right there baby and and listen i'm not (laughs) like our our lasting image of jr smith probably the the most memorable thing he did in his entire career was one of the most boneheaded plays in the history of the nba finals so i'm not saying that he is mistake-free basketball but in terms of you you know if if you in terms of that guy who's going to come off the bench and fill it up and and be kind of your volume shooter off the bench is it possible that that J.R. Smith ends up biting, you know, eating into that a little bit. And listen, John Hollinger wrote the other day that if if J.R. Smith is playing big minutes in 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 the playoffs, then something has gone, um, or is it playing at all, then something has gone horribly wrong. Um, I agree with that, but I also think Kyle Kuzma not being the best version of himself in the postseason would be an example of something having gone horribly yeah. wrong. The other thing about Kuzma is, um, you know, when we talk about small ball fours, um, to me the best small ball fours are like kind of tenacious defenders, kind of like glue guys. I can switch out on a guard. I can, you know, I can bang. Uh-oh, I got switched on to, you know, Nikola Jokic. Okay, you know, maybe he'll post me up, but I'll at least be a challenge down there on the block. Kuzma maybe eventually will be that. He clearly has the, you know, height and potentially body size for that, but he, he just, like, he's not there as a defender. And that, you know, again, maybe you're plugging in a smaller guy like a J.R. Smith, but if he's just playing more playoff level defense, that's maybe better. And then, you know, your small ball fours, whoever, it's basically LeBron. LeBron's really the answer to a lot of these uh, equations. 
Well, you remember a couple of years ago, Luke Walton's last year in the preseason, he tried to make Kuzma a center in the preseason, basically as the big as a big middle finger to Magic and Rob for um, giving him no backup center whatsoever. So that didn't work. But I guess we could at least argue it's that the Kuzma, right idea in sure, the modern NBA for sure. He's just not he's not the right player, and he doesn't and he, he just has he doesn't have that like th- that physicality on the defensive end. No, doesn't really attempt to. Um, you mentioned uh, J.R. Dion. Um, which of the two, or you mentioned J.R., I'll mention Dion. Um, wh- I mean, clearly the the prevailing thought right now is that it's J.R. who's going to have more of an impact because of you know his history with LeBron. Um, but Waiters is younger. Waiters has played more recently. Waiters had a disaster season in Miami. Um, but I've seen him in the playoffs with the Thunder. He had a couple, you know, decent series he had a, also a very big boneheaded moment uh, in san antonio so he's also capable of doing that D- is there a chance dion is is what you're basically what we're talking about jrb could that be Dion? yeah and if you look back at how dion got here it was that the lakers were really missing kind of that other guy who could create and score off the bounce i mean they don't have that i mean you're 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 Ball handlers behind LeBron are really dicey. I mean, Alex Caruso, okay, not really a ball handler, not 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 a not a point guard, um, and and then Rajon Rondo, who's not you know not a scorer. And so Dion, despite some of the baggage that he comes with that you were alluding to, made some sense for them, especially if he could get in, if he could get in shape and he could get comfortable in the system as a guy who could come in. And again. You lose Avery Bradley; those minutes suddenly are available to be divvied up in some way. I, he filled. I would argue that Dion Waiters fills more of a need in terms of the makeup of this roster than J.R. Smith does. In ter- because as a as a ball handling guard, that is what they were lacking. I mean, the guy they they tried to go get obviously was Darren Collison, who decided to stay retired. But like Dar- Darren Collison would have been kind of that perfect guy who would have slid in next to LeBron and and could have given you the defense also you know is going to you know be able to knock down a shot and um and and be kind of that pressure reliever second ball handler Dion can be that too I think if especially if you're willing to put up with some of the um you know some of the mistakes you're, you're talking about and maybe a little bit of um uh that gunner mentality but at the same time you know if he's coming off the bench and he's giving he's he's able to handle the ball he's able to um you know, initiate maybe, maybe, maybe he ends up being more valuable to this team than even Rondo. I think, yeah. I think, I think there's a chance that Dion ends up having a bigger role in the postseason than J.R. Smith. The the one thing I also know, just like from covering Dion and monitoring his career, is he has always been better in contract year type situations. Where uh, was good that last year with the Thunder, earned himself a shot in Miami. Was good under a shorter term deal in Miami, earned himself the four year, whatever it was, 448. Uh, and then the problems started coming once he had that 448 locked in. Uh, now, to me, he's fighting for his future in the league. Um, you know, if he's a nothing, uh, or if he's even worse than a nothing, if he's a problem for the Lakers in Orlando, um, I don't know. He's probably on a non guaranteed minimum. But if he goes down there and carves himself out of, you know, a spot in the rotation, he's still young enough to where maybe he's getting mid-level type money or maybe he's getting a multi-year guarantee. So um, that, from a Lakers perspective, is, you know, I, I think a, a good development that they have him on that type of deal. Uh, Bill, la- last thing I wanted to ask you, um, Frank Vogel, why has it worked? He was supposed to be, um, you know, kind of, what was he, the second, third option 
coaching situation. Uh oh, Jason Kidd might stab him in the back. That kind of stuff. Um, what it's been, it, you know, he's a coach of the year candidate. What happened? Yeah, I'm actually glad you said that because I don't think that people give Frank Vogel enough credit uh, for this season or um, bring him up enough in the coach of the year discussion. And I think for various reasons, um, a lot of them off the court, um, you have to give him tons of um, praise for the way he's handled this group. Um, It certainly felt like a combustible situation, right? You bring in Jason Kidd. He's, you know, he was originally viewed as like the top assistant likely to Ty Lu that falls apart and he's kind of just the next guy there. Um, but I think, I think ultimately he's a guy who had some credibility with LeBron. They had um, tangled in the, in the playoffs and, and Frank Vogel, I think came in with his eyes wide open about what he needed to do to survive in this role, what, what relationships were going to be important to being, you know, the Lakers coach long-term, or at least through this, this period of, of, um, of history with with LeBron, uh, with the Lakers, and that is you you listen to LeBron James, <laughs> you listen to what LeBron wants to do, how LeBron wants wants to play, what's going to make sense. If LeBron wants to play point guard, that is a great idea, and and obviously that has worked. And you but you you set up the you know the the roster, the lineup to let LeBron play the way he wants to play, and um and I think that Frank has been you know he has he has the right um countenance he has been um extremely empowering of his stars and all of his players he has been a partner with rob palinka who um obviously has you know is the is the the head of the franchise got a promotion of vice president basketball operations this year so he um i think he knows what relationships are important he listens to his stars uh he and listen what he's done has worked i mean if the team was losing it wouldn't matter if he was listening to lebron um, but he came in as a, as a defensive coach. He said, if we do these things, we're going to be a top five defense in the league. They have been, um, thanks to the way LeBron has played, leading the league in assists um, at an MVP level, like you said, um, they're a top five offense. Um, so I think Vogel in some ways gets gets kind of that collateral benefit of, of coaching a very motivated LeBron with another superstar. But at the same time, I, maybe more important than anything else, he hasn't done anything to screw it up. He hasn't, he hasn't, overly tried to put his stamp on the team he hasn't overcoached he hasn't messed with what was working and he has been um just a good shepherd of this team and when you look at the way he has handled a lot of the the adversity that this team has encountered you know this lakers team has been through more in the season than i think any nba team i can i can really think of when you consider being in China during the Daryl Morey controversy, being basically, you know, in a different form of quarantine where you are in a hotel in China and not not going anywhere, not having any of these appearances. And then we got to have a conversation. You were there, too. Yeah. I, 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 not not today, but we should have yeah. a conversation about that. that and we'll have time. Ta- we'll have we'll have time. I mean, yes, <laughs> we're going to have a lot of time to talk about things. Um, but. And, and then you, you, know, you go through, you know, I mean, one thing that people forget, and, and Brett and I talked about this on a previous podcast, they get back from China, and then LeBron's neighborhood was on fire. There were wildfires around LeBron's house, and he had to evacuate, and he was driving around Beverly Hills with his family, going into, like, hotels, asking if they had any vacancies, so his family had a place to stay. I mean, it's been that kind of year for the Lakers. And when Kobe Bryant died, and nobody from the franchise talked for several days— Frank Vogel was the only person out there. He was the first person out there for the first two or three media availabilities talk, you know, as the face of the organization talking about what the team was doing and how the team was honoring Kobe and how the team was moving on um, 
following his death. And that is not an easy job. And, and somehow Frank Vogel by accident has become the right man for the moment for this Lakers team. And, um, again, third or fourth choice for the job, I guess third, uh, depending on how you spin it. And, um, you know, like you said, could be could could very well be coach of the year. Spin it forward for us. Um, this they are traveling to Orlando this week. Um, Thursday. They're they're one of the it's they're the NBA is doing this what like kind of a stuttered um, arrival for teams. So that's and then they're they basically just have to sit in their hotel for what three days or something like that. Yeah, you know, and then. They have to quarantine, but not as long as other people have. To. Right, and then and then I mean Frank Vogel's talked about them getting on the court next week and having practices next week, which is sort of when um, when they'll be able to start getting back up to you know basketball having a speed spin, or sure. something. Yeah, I mean you can you can you can throw bodies at each other, and you know it was, it was interesting. The Orlando Magic tweeted a photo today, I think, or I guess Woj tweeted a photo of the Magic, and it was Steve Clifford with you know Vucevic and. Jonathan Isaac and uh, Aaron Gordon. I'm like, oh my gosh, there's four people standing right next to each other. That's not allowed. And it's like, oh wait a minute, they're about to be in a a very different situation from the from the rest of us. So, um, well, the Raptors apparently are like get, having this advantage because they've been training down in Florida Gulf Coast and like I don't I don't know that they're having group workouts, but I just think they just have a better setup right now. Right, they're already there. So uh, you know, the Lakers will have what two weeks, and then they'll start their their scrimmages against few other teams and then you know the seeding games and regular season games start on 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 july 30th and the one thing that we haven't talked about but i think has been talked about ad nauseum elsewhere and i've written about is is the advantage the lakers have with this five and a half game lead in the in the western conference over the clippers that they built over the first 63 games these eight seeding games mean nothing to the lakers no and you're not even trying to catch milwaukee because to get home court i mean what does that mean you just get to wear a different jersey like you know, so yeah, there, there's just no need for them. I mean, particularly if they could beat the Clippers on night one, do they clinch? I mean, they basically clinch right. the, the top seed. I, I think. So. I think the fact that you've lost to the Clippers a couple of times this year, obviously, you you beat them in the last matchup. I think you'd like to. You definitely would like to go into the postseason with sort of that that mental advantage of of beating them in the, in that opening game, but. But also, they're probably going to play LeBron like twenty minutes. Well, and that's sort of your, that's sort of the workaround, right? You, you you barely play LeBron. You show you don't you don't give the Clippers the opportunity to beat you at full strength. You've got you you have in in the in the one true clash of these teams head to head. I think at full strength. I think everybody was at full strength in the game on on March seventh or whatever it was, March sixth. Which I think you want to try to maintain that advantage going into uh, the playoffs because listen, nobody's going to be at full strength on July thirtieth, even if your rosters are 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 fully intact. Yeah. It's going to be strange. This is an important, like, little 7 to 14 days for the NBA. I mean, because they, you know, we're talking about something that might not happen, Absolutely. Um, And these next two weeks, setting up this bubble, right? I mean, getting guys in, making sure, you know, anything, any positive test is uh, caught uh, and setting it up will be important. And, you know, we're going to talk again over the next few weeks. And I think we'll have more have conversations about the strangest that's going to happen in Orlando. Yeah. You know, when we discuss these playoffs, we talk, you know, it's hard to not talk about them like a normal, you know, like, oh, when they see them in the second round, but it's like, this is just an entirely different thing. Yeah, it's a great point by you about these next couple of weeks because the league has a, a plan and they have a framework and they're slowly starting to put it into action. As you see, you know, 
the first teams go into the the bubble. It's not a bubble, but bubble is a clean word that we can use to describe the situation. Um, it, it, but once you get all 22 teams in there, you have the Disney workers, you have the media that's going to be in there, you have all the support staff, and you have hundreds and hundreds of people inside this not-a-bubble-bubble, bubble, uh, it becomes it becomes a lot harder thing to manage than you know just a hypothetical theory that you've been working on in, in your New York offices. And so um, it's going to be a real test for the league. And you know I think there's a lot of reason for optimism. You know We've heard... A lot of people, including uh, Anthony Fauci, say that this is a a very workable and creative solution. But it is still a house of cards. I think we all I think we all see how the the rest of the world is uh, trending. And you know, for everyone's sake, we'd like we'd love to see this thing be a success. But we're not going to know for the next few weeks. All right, Bill, you want to take us out? This has been the Forum Club. I'm Bill Orem, joined, as always, starting this week by Anthony Slater. Andrew Schlecht is in his closet in Oklahoma City producing the podcast. Uh, Thank you for listening. Subscribe to The Athletic. Uh, Tell your friends to subscribe to The Athletic. Support the work of hardworking journalists all around the world. Now I'm just rambling. Slater, say goodbye. Goodbye.